0: Welcome to the fundamentals a podcast where we will celebrate the research and researchers at the University of Michigan Medical School. I'm your host Kelly Malcolm, and I'm Jordan Gobig. And today we're excited to dive into our very
1: first episode. I know that the idea for this podcast existed before I came to campus, so I'm really looking forward to just soaking in all of the knowledge our first ever podcast guest will be touching on today.
0: I've had the pleasure of working with him for a few years and he's a hugely accomplished scientist and administrator, but incredibly humble and approachable. Before we introduce him and get into the show, let's talk about research here at Michigan Medicine. As a communicator, trying to decide what to highlight is like drinking from a fire hose. Even during the pandemic, our scientists managed to somehow churn out more than 8,000 publications. And we do our best to let people know about the great minds and greater discoveries that originate here at the medical school and beyond. So before we meet the minds on our show, we're going to recap some recent publications that we found particularly interesting.
1: Yeah, so UM research stories tend to come my way via social media posts that I'm working on for the medical school, and one story that actually made me stop and click on it because it just seemed so interesting was that um, Michigan researchers are unraveling the mystery behind why one of the X chromosomes in females is silenced early in in the developmental process, which may provide insights that could improve stem cell research. I thought this story was a perfect example of how our scientists are
0: pushing beyond the fundamentals to make impactful discoveries. And a story I found interesting centered around a study that found a way to improve the accuracy of a COVID-19 diagnosis by using a person's exhaled breath. I
1: appreciate the variety of research we're going to be able to showcase this season, and I'm really looking forward to sharing more of these stories every episode. We plan to provide links in the show notes, and we hope you enjoy reading more.
0: Now let's get on to the show today on the show we're excited to host a scientist who has been at the university of michigan for over 40 years he's made a significant impact in the field of immunology and the study of inflammation having co-authored more than 600 manuscripts contributed over 60 chapters to different books in the field and presented hundreds of lectures as a visiting professor all while serving as a principal investigator, maintaining continuous NIH grants, and taking on a number of leadership positions. Welcome, Dr. Steve Kunkel, the Executive Vice Dean for Research at the University of Michigan Medical School. Thank you, Kelly. I'm happy to
2: be here.
1: Uh, Absolutely, Dr. Kunkel. We thought your history within the knowledge of the research enterprise at Michigan would provide a perfect introduction to the medical school for our listeners. So let's start there. I would love to know what led you down the path of inflammation and immunology.
2: So I've always had a passion for science, and when I finished my undergraduate degree in biology, I knew that I wanted to go in for an advanced degree. Uh, I had a mentor uh, in undergraduate who was an immunologist, and he put me in touch with a professor at the University of Connecticut, Dr. Peter Ward, who was an internationally known immunologist who studied lung inflammation. So I got in contact with Dr. Ward. He offered me a postdoctoral position, and uh, that launched my career. The interesting thing about that is that Dr. Peter Ward ended up being the chair of pathology here at the University of Michigan and actually recruited me uh, to Michigan when he came uh, back in the early 80s
1: very interesting. Um, I read your bio. That was not all part of it, so I'm glad I got to learn a little bit about you. I know, Kelly, we said we were going to do a back and forth, but um, I feel like you segued really nicely into my next question, which was that um, I read that you had joined the university in 1980, but I'd love to hear why you decided to stay because you've spanned such a long time here with your career, which is incredible.
2: Yeah, so... Having decided to stay here was was an easy choice. I think when people initially come early in their career, they expect to be at their first institu- institution for three, four, five years and then potentially move on. But what I found is that this research community here was extremely welcoming, uh, extremely collaborative. Uh, And I'll get into a little bit later some of our research strategies. But one of the aspects of whether people stay at an institution is leave is dependent upon the research community that they belong to, those collaborators which become instrumental to their career. And over my first five years here, I established a lot of very, very close colleagues and It would have been very hard for me to go to another institution and reproduce the number of collaborators I had here at Michigan, so I ended up staying. And then by the time I got more well-known and had job offers, I had uh, kids in, in high school who told me, Dad, you can go wherever you want. We're staying in Ann Arbor.
1: That's great. That's good to hear. As somebody who just moved here, it's nice to hear what a wonderful experience you've had.
0: So you have a great perspective on this, I think. In your opinion, how has the overall research landscape changed over the past 40 years that you've been here? Yeah,
2: that's a great question. And I think one of the things with regard to research is driven by the technology you have. And we often revisit old questions because at the time that we were initially studying them, we really didn't have the instrumentations or the technology to address them. So, old questions uh, that we were addressing 15, 20 years ago bubble up again, and we start readdressing them again with a different approach using new uh, state-of-the-art technology that's available.
1: So over a decade ago now, the university announced that they were taking over the former Pfizer campus in Ann Arbor. Could you tell us a little bit about what this deal entailed and how it would impact the medical school's research?
2: Right. I think taking over the old Pfizer site, which is now the North Campus Research Complex is a game changer, has been a game changer for us. Uh, I remember in 2008, I had a lot of friends, close friends that work for Pfizer, and one day they got called into the cafeteria and the uh, CEO of, of Pfizer had a big teleconference and basically said, we're shuttering the site. Uh, many of you will get uh, an offer to stay with us, but move somewhere else, and many of you will be terminated. And that uh, sent a shiver down all of uh, Ann Arbor and uh, the, the academic community. So that site set, set vacant for almost a year, and the university tried very hard to find another pharmaceutical company that would partner with us and would actually purchase that site. Well, if any of you remember what was going on in 2008 and 2009, it was the biggest recession, uh, downturn, outside of the Great Depression that, that happened back in the 20s and leading into the 30s. So finally, the University of Michigan decided that they would have a negotiation with Pfizer, and they ended up buying that entire site for $108 million, which was pennies on the dollars. It was a real fire sale, and it became a game changer for us. We have, we're have we still mowing 174 acres of grass out there, which means that's the future for research and building out there. We actually got a couple dozen buildings. The last two were just renovated recently, and we have about 170 uh, wet labs that are now out there, located out there. Uh, we have uh, a individuals from all over the different 19 schools and colleges that have joined us out there. Uh, So that purchase site was was a real game changer for us.
1: I'm just curious. I didn't look into the history enough. How many people were employed?
2: They had a couple thousand people that were, they said, and they skimmed, they took the the heavy producers and said, we'll move you to Groton, Connecticut, or a couple places, and the other ones were just terminated. It was good for us so too, because we picked up dozens of they're high-end scientists that are with us here today. Many, that's what I was wondering. Especially in chemistry, medicinal chemistry and around. So we picked up a lot of talent from there. Yeah,
1: that's a really cool story. Yeah, uh, like, that. I mean, what a sad thing. That was a tough time. Yeah, I,
2: I keep around. telling our people we, we should really write that up and put it in the Chronicles of Higher Education or something. Of what, yeah. What we purchased, what we got, and what we did with that site.
0: Yeah, yeah, wow. So we have really great infrastructure in place. And last year, I know you announced a new strategic research initiative called Great Minds, Greater Discoveries. And as a part of that, have identified several priority areas. Um, Those are neuroscience, e-health, health health equity, opioids and pain, and inflammation for our listeners. Um, How were those areas of focus selected?
2: Those areas were selected on a couple of criteria. One, we wanted to keep investing in those areas where we had strength, like neuroscience. Neuroscience is not just, uh, research is not just conducted in the medical school. It it spreads across the other schools and colleges. Matter of fact, the psychology department in is is probably the number one ranked psychology department in the country. And its basis for its research is neuroscience. So we wanted to invest in areas where we had strength and can keep that going. And on the other hand, we wanted to invest in new areas like artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, in wearables. We've had uh, great success in collaborating with uh, scientists in the College of Engineering. We've established those links. Uh, They... We're doing artificial intelligence back with the Department of Defense 20 some years ago. They moved into autonomous vehicles with artificial intelligence, and they partnered with us telling the next frontier for using artificial intelligence is gonna be medicine. So that was one of the reasons we invested in that. Inflammation became uh, an a easy choice, uh, one cannot name one disease process that really doesn't have an inflammatory component to that. A lot of the new drugs that are coming online address the uh, inflammatory system. And a lot of the immunotherapies to treat cancer is dependent upon understanding how immunology and inflammation work and how we can turn uh, the inflammatory response and the inflammatory activity against tumor cells. So a lot of these uh, investments were made in areas that we had strength in areas that we had new strength, but, new, but but old partners.
0: This next question is sort of a big one. How do we ensure that Michigan medicine remains on the cutting edge of biomedical research? In that sense, what, in your opinion, do our researchers need to answer the biggest questions?
2: Yeah, so that is an important uh, question to address. And one of the things, we can invest in all the bricks and mortar we want around here. But we're only as good as the faculty, staff, and learners that we have here to support that research. So we really want to make sure that we have those individuals who have that passion for science. And not just the science, the bench work where you design those experiments, but how do we train that next generation of scientists with our postdoctoral fellows, our residents, and our graduate students. Those are our future, and those are individuals that we need to make sure are going to be at our side going forward to make this place great and continue to make this place great.
1: So we're, we're chugging along, y'all. Um, we're on to our kind of our third section. Um, I'm going to flesh out this question a little bit more for you um, and give you some context around it. So when I listen to my Conan O'Brien podcast, as I mentioned earlier, you know, they have Insert celebrity name: Adam Sandler. And you know he's really on there because he's plugging his comedy special. Even though they had this lovely conversation about everything else, so I wanted to give. I would like to give everybody who comes on this podcast an opportunity to kind of to plug something of their own, whether it's a project that they're specifically working on or a publication that they've recently had published. Um, but something that I thought maybe you could speak to or give a shout out to, um, are there any specific programs that our researchers should be paying attention to up and coming um, that you wanna plug right now on the show?
2: So one area that we have great strengths and I'd like to just give a big shout out to is our our researchers that are studying diabetes. We have outstanding investigators in this space who have written grants that bring in multi, multi multi-millions of dollars of support. Uh, We are recognized around the world in a lot of areas of research, but especially in the areas of diabetes. One of the individuals who's been running one of the diabetes centers, Martin Myers, is studying some of the neurological effects of diabetes. One of the consequences that many of the listeners may not realize is that there are so many side diseases that are caused by diabetes. Everything from vascular diseases to eye diseases to hearing loss, uh, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, so to get our handle around what causes diabetes and how we can treat that has a lot of downstream effects on affecting other diseases and understanding how these diseases function.
0: I believe you are still a practicing researcher, as we mentioned in the intro. <laughs> what really keeps you going each day um, as a scientist and as a leader at the medical school?
2: I think as a scientist there's two things, and one of the things I'm most proud of is, is not the many publications that I've had, but it's the people in the lives I've touched and those people whose lives have touched me. Uh, I, I can say one of the most outstanding things I've done is to be able to seed uh, investigators around the world with uh, uh, faculty positions. Uh, I've had a conduit to Brazil for a number of years, a conduit to Japan. In Japan right now I have uh, two post fellows who are chairs of departments, uh, one post fellow who's the dean of a medical school in Japan. Uh, so, so being able to train the next generation of scientists has been extremely important for me. And with regards to, to making uh, discoveries, one of the things that becomes an investigator's high is to do an experiment that actually turns out to be correct. And you get a little peak of nature that no one else has ever seen before. And sometimes it's a pretty small peak at nature, but it's exhilarating.
1: As we're beginning to wrap up the episode, is there any other projects, programs, people, areas of research that you want to give another shout-out to and make sure that we discuss?
2: Like I mentioned, we have great strengths across the the, the medical school. Uh, Our uh, Institute for Health Policies and Innovation is totally outstanding. These are the individuals who uh, look at databases, and through that database, they interrogate and collect uh, information that leads to the next generation of policies that are set. Uh, So we probably lead, at least uh, in the Midwest and likely the the whole U.S., in in establishing uh, policies through our IHPI. Uh, an, another area that, that we have uh, significant uh, strengthening is looking at the, the mechanism of uh, how genes are expressed. Uh, this becomes really basic science, and there's a whole uh, exploding area of, called epigenetics uh, that uh, basically it's, it's how – Um, there are alterations in the DNA and RNA that really leads to the multiplicity of different genes and how these genes are both expressed and regulated. And we have great strengths in that area too.
0: Uh, One of the things I was still curious about is your role as an administrator. How has that gone for you and what are the things that you're most proud of or that you're most interested in letting people know about?
2: So I actually cut my teeth in administration that goes back to about 1995 when I became the associate dean of of graduate education, handling all of the PhD programs in the biological sciences. And I was there for a number of years. Matter of fact, I was the interim dean of Rackham uh, for two years. Uh, that uh, I didn't want to be throw my hat in the ring to become the dean, but it was important that I uh, became the associate dean. And one of the things that that really happened is that. Because Rackham has programs, I think they have about 150 Ph.D. programs, I I got to know individuals in the history department, the English department, who remain fast friends to this day. Uh, Starting in 2009, I was asked by then Dean Jim Williscroft to come over to the medical school uh, because they were reorganizing the medical school to put senior associate deans into the research program, the uh, uh, clinical program, and the education program, and I worked with uh, David Spollinger, who at that time was the uh, senior associate dean for clinical affairs and, and myself uh, in research going forward. And then when they recruited Dean Rungi here, they reorganized again and created executive vice deans for uh, education and faculty affairs, executive vice deans for research, and executive vice deans for clinical affairs. So I've, I've had the ability to Uh, walk in a lot of investigator's shoes, know what some of the needs are for research, and I thought I could use that and expand that into an administrative role. Uh, And I've been able to work with some incredible people in the administrative uh, arm, especially in the Office of Research, to actually advance and help our faculty conduct their research.
1: So I... I came from the University of Illinois, and several of my good friends are postdoctoral researchers at this point in their career. And I feel like some of them have really good leadership qualities, but they're always really nervous about stepping into those roles. You know, it's like they say a good politician is one who doesn't want to actually run for office. And sometimes I feel like the good administrators are sitting there just doing their research in their lab. So what advice would you give to those young researchers and junior faculty? Um, to pursue leadership roles and administrative roles um, and um, realize that they could do those things and, and and have a positive impact in research.
2: So first of all, there is no one-to-one correlation between being a great researcher and being a great administrator. Matter of fact, I've known a lot of outstanding scientists who really failed at being an administrator. And one of the things that we have to keep in mind to run a research lab, and I want to put a good spin on this, you have to be a little bit selfish. You don't want to... Um, give out information to your competitors and get scooped on research. Uh, you have to stay the course. You have to have a burning passion to running your lab and and keeping the people that are working in your lab working at the bench towards, towards that goal. But on the other hand, there is the opportunity to use the expertise. I mentioned before that uh, – to have, to have walked in research scientists' shoes it becomes important. They know what it feels like to get a grant. They know what it feels like to not get a grant. And I've been down both those paths. So having the experience of, of being in a, in a successful lab at a successful place like Michigan really sets you up if you really want to pursue the path of an administrator, gives you that expertise uh, to be able to uh, understand what needs to be done and what uh, policies need to be set and what expertise needs to be available and what instrumentation needs to be available to be successful as a research scientist.
1: What a lovely episode this has been with you, Dr. Kunkel. I feel like I've learned so many new things about the university and your research. Thank you.
0: Well, Dr. Kunkel, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you in today for our inaugural episode of The Fundamentals. We really appreciate your time.
2: So this was fun and I really appreciate you uh, looking out for me and uh, having me come in to do this first podcast with you all. Thanks for listening.
0: The Fundamentals is part of the Michigan Medicine Podcast Network and produced by the Michigan Medicine Department of Communication in partnership with the University of Michigan Medical School. Find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.